What do I love about Sarah Lawrence College? I think the answer, along with many other people, are the pe- are, are the actual people. Um, the professionalism at this place is what keeps me coming back every day. Um, the ability to problem solve, the ability to work with interesting people and work on interesting things, that's what keeps me coming back every day. For Sarah Lawrence College, I'm Tim Kale, and this is the Sarah Lawrence College Podcast. For this episode of the season, we are joined by Sean Jamison, SLC's Chief Technology Officer and Chief Information Security Officer. You'll learn about Sean's passion for fixing things and, as noted in the prelude, his passion for Sarah Lawrence and its people. For all things Sarah Lawrence College, visit our main website at sarahlawrence.edu. Check out our college tour page where prospective students and their parents can see videos on finding community, expressing yourself, and getting involved, to name just a few. That link will be in the show notes. Follow Sarah Lawrence College on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Vimeo, YouTube, and LinkedIn. There are myriad ways for you to connect with us. The Sarah Lawrence Student Life Preservation Project is accepting contributions at slcstudentlifeproject.omeka.net. That URL will be in the show notes. Remember to give the podcast a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. We really count on those reviews. They give us a jolt of positivity, and they help us find our audience. All right, that about does it for this intro. It is time to start the show. Enjoy. So please state your name, your personal pronouns, and your title here at SLC. Sure, it's Sean Jamison. Uh, he, him, his. Uh, and my official title is Chief Technology Officer and Chief Information Security Officer. Okay, so what does that person do? Well, it covers Every aspect of technology on the campus as well as securing the campus. So that covers all of uh, database systems, uh, software systems, telephone, network, um, and the protection and development of those systems. Um, so it is the, the upgrade of those systems, it is the maintenance of those systems, it is the protection of those systems, and it is the continued improvement of those systems. I think a lot of this sounds so... Um, disembodied like you know we see like a, a problem on a bridge right and you bring a construction crew in to fix the bridge you know that's, that's very like concrete and easy to wrap your head around I think people myself included have a harder time wrapping my head around maintenance of the internet or maintenance of the cloud or maintenance of anything like what you just described uh, so is there a way to kind of Bring it down to earth and put it in layman's terms? Sure. Um, If you think of it as a highway, we have many on-ramps and off-ramps. And those ramps need to be adjustable to handle the bandwidth and the needs of the campus. Uh, In summertime, it's not so much, but when students come on, and there's certain times of the night when every student is on their speaking with their parents overseas or Zooming and having an Instagram or a Snapchat and while at the same time watching Netflix, all that is demand on the network. So we have to make sure that we've got multiple paths 
that the network has redundancies. So the highways, there's many different ways for you to take to the highway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then not only is there multiple paths, but there needs to be the ability for the bandwidth to adjust itself, meaning that we can take big hits. And during commencement, um, during opening, you know, we need to be able to adjust accordingly and be able to foresee down the road what we think the needs will be in six months, a year, 18 months. Um, so we've got folks that look that, and that's on the hardware side. Uh, on the software side, that is where we actually look for how many people are using particular system and what is the goal of particular software systems. So we've been growing over the past 17 years the core student systems, the systems that support students for placements in their dorms, um, for their medical um, um, healthcare needs, um, for security, f- growing out um, video for uh, on the campus for safety and, and, and security. Um, so it kind of covers all assets uh, or facets of, of the of the institution. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's tough to say this is the particular people who do it, mm-hmm. but it is divvied up into that particular area. So I have people who work on the network. I have people who work on software. Mm-hmm. I have people who work on MySLC. I have people who work on telecom. Um, and I have people who are the help desk to help those folks do that. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike some of our contemporaries, we're kind of challenged with the number of heads that we have. So lots of folks do multiple things. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to make sure that while somebody's on vacation, somebody can take care of that network. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's really unfair to ask somebody to never take a vacation (laughs) (laughs) that's true um so i know the answer to this question is going to be a lot um but even so i'm going to ask it what's something it does quietly and unseen something the general community knows nothing about I think one of the best things it does is really backing up and making sure data is protected across the enterprise, meaning that all of emails, communications, data, software, um, files, all that has to be backed up. And not only one time, it has to be backed up to multiple locations. So if we back up something to here uh, and use your, your regular desktop as an example, your files need to be protected off that machine somewhere. And not only does that need to be protected, then we need to push that off a little bit further. So we kind of do what's called like a a belt and suspenders approach. So we back up locally and then we back up to our own private cloud where that data could be recovered in case of something catastrophic on campus, Mm -hmm. a fire, Mm -hmm. something like that. So we will have the ability to restore the college to a working order Mm -hmm. in a short amount of time. Okay, that's awesome. So... What are the steps that led to you being here right now? Oh, (laughs) Um, well, I started uh, in higher education at Fordham University, uh, and I worked there um, in their development office. So I was a database manager. I come out of the data world. Um, And then I had gotten a job at NYU and worked my way up to being a director of IT for their School of Professional Studies, uh, and then became their chief information technology officer there for a while. And then had some kids <laughs> and uh, couldn't really go 
the full commuting to the city and eating three hours plus out of your time sitting on a train oh, wow. while my wife is home taking care of some newborns. So I mm-hmm. was looking for something a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some folks had actually uh, suggested this position. And I interviewed here and got the position uh, 17 years ago uh, last week. Oh, wow. That was <laughs> one of my questions was how long you've been here. Yep. Yeah. All right. So you've been here for 17 years. Yes. I've been here for nine. Um, what's what's the weirdest thing you've seen here? <laughs> we might have to come without, back for another podcast. Though. Yeah, without um, getting either of us in trouble. So when I first got here, the um, the servers, the main servers for the system, are on a really older what we call green screen technology. It's um, it's AS four hundred system that kind of banks still use, but it was really kind of antiquated. And that server itself was located in Westlands, where the IT team actually used to be on the second floor where admissions is now and when i got here there was a big almost like umbrella and sheet of plastic over the servers and i was like what is that for and the answer was well if somebody forgets to close the shower upstairs on the third floor it rains on the the most mission critical piece of the institution so that one was eye-opening to me so within the first i think six months i got here we moved off and moved all those servers off to a different location what's called the cola location facility outside the New York metro area, so it's kind of backed up and protected and off-site. Um, that was an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, the subterranean aspects of the, of, <laughs> of the college are really interesting. So we get to see some really old stuff in the areas, um, some really interesting things in the basements of the institution, um, uh, and, and the challenges that we we see every day is that there's areas that we wouldn't want to put an old VCR in, but we're putting some equipment in that needs to get upgraded. Mm -hmm. So it's one of the things over the past 17 years, we've been working with um, the capital improvement uh, folks and really kind of rehabbing these basements. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that was one of the most interesting things I saw was almost like caves, you know, we Mm -hmm. call them like submarines. They're really quite amazing. Yeah. I'm surprised more students in the film areas don't ask for access to some of those areas because they They do some great sets. (laughs) Yeah, they might not know. Maybe they don't know. Could be unsafe, too. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's funny. Um, So what gives you pleasure in your job? Problem solving. Mm. I, I am a son of a cabinet maker, so I grew up with tools at an early age. So I always was tinkering, fixing, whether it be woodworking, tools, uh, uh, machines, computers. I love to problem solve. And on the data side, I'm still very integral in um, maintaining the registration process for the college, um, in in running um, reports for people, in trying to figure out better ways to do things. So I really love um, the problem solving uh, aspect of my job. So let's say there's a situation like... um Remember how much Bobby wanted to get uh, swipe access on the front door? Yes. What needs to fall into place for that to actually become a reality? Right. So just to have a card touch on something and be able to know who you are, what time of access. So we need connectivity to the area you want the card. We need a card system. So if we, you know, now we have the card system, so we need to be able to get the readers for that card system. We need to identify a location of whether the door or turnstile can support it, which is a challenge on an older campus because some of the doors can't be drilled or have equipment put into them because they're too thin. So sometimes we have to then upgrade a door. And then we've got to make sure power is available to that 
location. And that sometimes is a challenge. It could be a glass door. It could be a, an area we can't really drill. So we've got to come up with the best way to access that door. Then we need to have data connectivity. So can it be connected to Wi-Fi or can it be hardwired into the network? So it has to have the ability to get to a switch room somewhere. Uh, then it needs to have the approval for the fiscal request for that to say, is there money in the budget for this particular uh, um, door? Um, it could be a challenging door, which could run several thousand dollars in extra work to get it working, or it could be a very straightforward door, so then we're just um, getting the equipment that's needed, which is a swipe access panel and the people to do the work. Um, and then it needs to be integrated into the card swipe system, and somebody needs to maintain that by saying, what are the rules for that? Mm-hmm. Um, can everybody come in at any time? Mm-hmm. Is there a lockout period? Um, what do you do with guests? Um, so there's lots of questions to be asked about it ahead of time. It's a matter of doing the planning and having somebody either in operations um, or security be able to manage that as well once it goes live. So I imagine you have to get used to work with Mo a lot, I imagine. Absolutely. We are really tight. It's one of the areas that we work with the closest. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Mo's a great person to know, and uh, she's just hilarious. Un- unheralded and, and the... Uh, the the big toe, the Sergeant Holka big toe <laughs> yes. of of the uh, the college. Yes. <laughs> um, so, how many projects do you have going on at the same time? I have a whiteboard in my office. Okay. That is just pinned with with projects. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's both real stuff kind of on my left that I've got to track right now every day. And then I've got kind of pie in the sky stuff that, you know, people are coming to me with and trying to be strategic about it. Um, so I'd say at this point, I am probably at like 28 or 30 projects that are going on. It could be just software upgrades. It could be reports. It could be full system res- um, rebuilds. Um, it could be telephone moves. Uh, it could be moves right now. We've got several moves happening on campus. Uh, and one of the bigger things we're looking at now, it's the pub rebuild. Mm. Um, so now we're looking at how many access points, how many ports. So we now have to work with the architects and Mo to come up with the planning of building out that particular area. Mm-hmm. So we're working with the third-party people, internal people, security, um, and and those are the people we work with very closely for almost every project. What I realize is, uh, as I'm listening to you talk is like I've never really thought of it this way where if something happens on campus, whatever that thing is, IT needs to know about it. Like if there's someone wants to put on a show, someone wants to uh, erect uh, a sculpture, uh, someone wants to do any number of things, you guys really should be informed on it. We ask and remind people every day about that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, All right. This is an entirely self-interested question. Okay. Uh, Do you know that situation where someone has gone to a copier they see their print on the screen, they press start, and then the print vanishes into the ether and nothing comes out. What is happening there and why is it happening? 
That is a good question because honestly, it's happened to me too. And I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, especially <laughs> the software company that runs that. But the challenge is, is, is sometimes is that the copier might lose connectivity for a moment and it might think the job was actually sent out and it wasn't. So it's kind of sending a false, oh yeah, the job's already done. So your job disappears. And you say, where, where's, what's happened to that? Um, we've got many open tickets and, and knowledge base requests to the company that does that. Um, and one of our people who is the primary supporter of that area, uh, it's one of the things that really makes them lose hair um, every time it happens. <laughs> mm -hmm. So what, what is the best way to contact IT? Um, usually direct call. We have uh, uh, help desk uh, emails at hd at uh, gm.slc.edu and h help desk at sarahlawrence.edu, uh, as well as calling uh, 2460 or 2494. 2494? Yep. And we always uh, are staffed um, in the basement of the library for people to walk in if they've got issues um, with hardware or equipment. Um, and if not, we always just say call first if they happen to, to know what an issue is. Um, we usually go with the usual, have you restarted the machine, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which, is, which is the go-to mm -hmm. um, and, and fixes probably 80% of the issues. Mm -hmm. um, but we, you know, we, we're always uh, open to help people, whether it's uh, our equipment or not. So let's say there's a student who has a laptop, and the laptop is messing around it's not making sense they could bring it to you to you guys yes we usually have them sign a waiver because okay. even though we, we do have lots of uh, apple approved technicians and and pc technicians um you know it is it is their personal property so we have to have them sign a waiver to say we're happy to look at it for you mm -hmm. and tell you at least what the issue is we might not be able to repair it with the equipment or we can give them guidance to say you can get a part from over here or um, we can try to, to, to fix it ourselves um, if we have some spare parts in. All right. That's very nice of you. <laughs> Are you able to separate work from home? It's a challenge. Um, you know, registration this past weekend, I was 24-7. So I did not have, and, and you know, my weekend was, was shot and that's part of the job. We run 24-7 um, because things don't break on business time. Um, so we are usually um, planning for off hours if we can, but lots of things break. Um, we have service agreements and service level agreements with people that run 24-7. So if uh, something breaks and we're waiting for a part, sometimes we might have to meet him here over the weekend. Um, or if there's events, Audiovisual is usually covering off hours, so we do have a little bit uh, of a challenge making sure we can have people support things that are from 7 in the morning till 10 at night. Mm -hmm. um, it's not easy to do with the number of heads we have here, um, but it, it, it is a 24-7 job, and I tell my people that. Uh, and we've got when I talk about good people and why I come to work every day, it's those people who have a selfless sense of duty and professionalism um, where I really don't have to beg or borrow or steal from, you know, mm -hmm. from their time or even comp time. They just know that's part of the job, and they'll show up and do it. Okay, that's great. So uh, when you're home, you know, and you're relaxing. What are you doing to relax? Oh, I always have some sort of project going on, whereas okay. I'm either building an extension on my house, a bathroom, um, redoing a garage, or helping somebody else do it. So I've always got some sort of project that my wife is always like, it's been a month. <laughs> what do you, what? And, and she'll see me just staring. 
at something. Yeah. And she'll be like, all right, you're in the vicinity of something. What are you doing here? I'm like, I think I'm going through that wall tomorrow. <laughs> and we're going to have a nook over here. And she's mm-hmm. like, all right, uh, <laughs> I, I trust you. And that's what I love to do. I love to still work with my hands. If I wasn't doing this job, I would be out doing general contracting work. So how did you learn that skill set? Um, which one, the computers or the... Or the, the contracting. The contracting. Like, yeah. um, almost out of necessity. Um, you know, as I said, I, I grew up with, with woodworking tools. I was on a lathe at five years old. Right? <laughs> I'm not going to throw my father under the bus for yeah. that one. He's long since passed, but he gave me those tools and the ability to kind of learn that way. Mm-hmm. So I, I just kind of started from that point and just started fixing things out of necessity. My bike broke. We didn't have the ability to go out and get a new one, so it was fix that bike. Um, it was uh, I bought a house at a very early age um, and had to repair things. Uh, didn't have the money to go out and hire a contract to do x y and z be like yeah all right, let me let me take a shot at it mm-hmm. and one of the best things you can do and here's good advice for anybody is help other people who are doing it at their house let them be the experiment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're doing a bathroom hey i'll come over and help you mm-hmm. let's gut this thing let's see what's going on let's <laughs> let's 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 build it together mm-hmm. uh and then you know you get four or five under your belt and you get a little uh now these days with youtube and diy shows oh, it's yeah, fantastic it is fantastic um, you know, you, you, need, you need to fix, uh, you know, the most odd car and part. You can find somebody who's done it. So mm-hmm. that's, that's a great one to do. That is. That really is. Could you just talk a little bit about that that process, like what that process was? Because maybe I could give a little preamble here is that registration is not the way it was. Like any, I think like three or four years ago, the switch was made to go online. But originally, there were there were long, huge lines in the library of people waiting to sign up for their courses. Um, the, uh, there was a, a period of time where we were like, we we don't know though if it could be done, like if it could be switched. Um, but it was. How was it? It was a challenge. Um, when I first got here, and somebody told me about the process. Just the process alone of students choosing these particular classes and faculty members giving a prioritization and interviewing to get into classes, it's different than almost any other institution in higher education. Um, So we really had to do a customized process for that. And so there was a process called zigzag that I didn't make up the name. I inherited it and I came here and showed up and it's about first round and second round. So you zig, you zag. Um, And it was about the placements for kind of first choice and or for um for for getting you know two out of your three classes uh and so students would choose those three classes and it was a paper process so they would fill out the form they would show up in the library they'd have to hand enter that into the system of record into the student information systems uh and then it would become placement time and a team of people would sit down with binders and look at that registration information and try to make sense of it and get the best placements and get make, making sure that people got two out of their three choices. And then for alternate registration, they'd have to go and get one out of their three choices, uh, which was even more of a challenge. So um, when we had changed over to the new Genzibar system uh, in 2011, we started to build a new process to electronically assign that, not to collect the information, but to kind of what I call the uh, the airplane tarmac to place the students in, in there. So we built a system that people can look at uh, on a projector and we sit down as a team and it's more of an electronic 
process. And then the second round was a nightmare until we built a system that does a kind of an automatic placement. It's kind of a round robin kind of a, hey, how many people are looking for number one? How many people can we fit into their first choice class before we have to go to their second choice class and third? So we tried to optimize that. Okay. There's still improvements over that every day. Uh, and then we realized that we can build a system to take that information of the students' choices. Uh, and it had to be a custom-built system, so it had to be worked on with the registrar, with my web services team, with Greg Kahn, who's a, who's a web services manager, who's a fantastic programmer, and they started building the online course selection system. Um, we, we made sure we called it um, selection or request system because it's not a registration system. Yes. You're just asking for those classes. Like yeah. There's no guarantee like in other places where you, you, know, you do that online and you walk away, you're done. Um, so we went to a, a model that allowed students to do it online uh, and then COVID really accelerated that. So we need to have the ability to do not only the placements, I mean, not only the requests, but also the placements virtually. Um, so it's really been getting improved uh, year by year. Greg has been doing fantastic work with that with Dan. And now the new registrar, registrar Nicole, is working with Greg, too, for second generation or second uh, system designs of that with improvements uh, along every turn. Okay. All right. That's great. Uh, so here's my last question. Uh, what would you like the SLC community to know about IT? The people that are there do the best that they can in the situation that they're given, meaning that everybody's got constraints within their jobs. We've got some other challenges, and we have to run an institution which runs very individually versus other institutions. We are very unique, and they are doing the best work that they can given the constraints that they're at. And that's what I always tell people. They're human. I know lots of people will get upset with IT. It's a given. It's, a nat it's the nature of the business. But they really have the students' best interests in mind, the staff's best interests in mind, the faculty's best interests in mind. And everything we talk about is always about what's the best we can do for those folks. It might not be the ideal solution. Um, it might not be the perfect solution, but is the best solution with what we can afford and what they can get done in a timely manner. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate you being on the show. All right. Thanks a lot. Thus concludes this episode of the Sarah Lawrence College podcast. Thank you very much once again to Sean for sharing your thoughts and time with us. If you're new to the podcast, go back and listen to 60 plus episodes on a wide range of topics. Let us know what you think of the show with a five star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Follow Sarah Lawrence College on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Vimeo, YouTube, and LinkedIn. These are just some of the ways you can connect with us. The Sarah Lawrence Student Life Preservation Project is accepting contributions at slcstudentlifeproject.omica.net. That URL will be in the show notes. Music by SLC current student Ruby Arthur. Thank you very much, Ruby, for your contribution. All right, that about does it for me, folks. It's been a pleasure sharing this sonic space with you, and I look forward to doing so again next week.